Hi, I'm Jonathan Edwards, and I want to welcome you to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. My goal in this podcast is to teach the truth of the Word of God and apply it to our lives that our orthopraxy might be as good as our orthodoxy. May you be blessed. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. Today, we are coming at you, and we are going to be discussing the topic of sex and gender as a creation ordinance. Yes, you heard me. Sex and gender is a creation ordinance. Now, if you read any of the historical documents concerning creation ordinance, you look at scholarship from years gone by, you're not going to find a lot of scholars who spend a lot of time defending the concepts of sex and gender as a creation ordinance. And the reason for that is very simple. There was no question about sex and gender in years gone by. There was no need to defend something that was so plainly obvious to everybody who has ever lived on the face of the planet until about 2016. Really, Well, let's be fair, more like 2006, 2007. 2007 was the year that I first encountered the idea of like a transgender bathroom. I remember reading an op-ed in the Bowling Green uh, student newspaper, and the op-ed was basically arguing that in order to be sensitive to people, the campus, the uh, college rather, needed to provide multiple transgender bathroom options at different locations around the campus. And so, you know, that was my first introduction to this idea of transgender. Perhaps it's been around a little bit longer than that, but, you know, it's like the last 25 to 35 years that this idea or concept of transgender has been in the public arena or the public sphere. And so you don't find any old scholars defending sex and gender as a creation ordinance because there was no question that sex and gender were just what they are. They're biological. And so we find ourselves today in the position of defending the scriptures and defending sex and gender as creation ordinances that God established from the very beginning and that God intends to be lived out in a certain way in the creation. So we find ourselves in the position of having to basically defend that there is only one definition of sex. There is only one definition of gender. And they are attached to biology, not to feelings. Sex and gender are attached to biology, not to feelings. So let's go through and define what we mean by sex and talk about how God established the boundaries of sex, and then we'll talk about gender. First of all, the definition of sex is either of the two main categories of male and female, all right? We're talking about male and female, and these two categories are the categories to which humans and most other living things are divided on the basis of their reproductive functions. So sex has to do with biology. What is your role in biological reproduction? You're either the male or you are the female when it comes to reproduction. 
Now, sex is genetically determined by DNA. You're either going to get an XX chromosome or an XY chromosome. You're not going to, you can't change the chromosomes, okay? And once your sex is genetically determined by the chromosomes and by your DNA, sex goes so far beyond the physical appearance of your reproductive organs. Men and women, or let's just state it very simply, very scientifically, male and female are different at a biological level. All right, there are massive biological differences between men and women. And that's not to say that there aren't similarities, okay? There are, of course, similarities. Men and women are, are similar in a lot of ways, but they are also different in a lot of ways, such as their hormones, their skeletal structure, the musculature development, and all kinds of other biological functions. Now, what, what occurs or what has occurred is that there are rare occurrences of people who are intersex. They have both male and female parts. So when you look at them physically, it looks like they're, you're not sure whether they're a male or a female. But those individuals are a genetic exception. That is the result of the curse of sin. You see, the, the, the curse of sin affects every aspect of human life. And one of the ways that it affects sex is there are mutations. And, and so even if you have somebody who has both male and female reproductive parts, that individual still has a biology which has either XX chromosomes or XY chromosomes. So even though the physical appearance may look confusing, biologically, that individual is either a male or a female. Therefore, we should conclude that sex is an objective reality. It is a binary system. You are either one or the other, but you are not both and you are not interchangeable. Let me state that again. Sex is an objective reality. Sex is a binary construction. That means there are two opposites. And without one of the opposites, you can't define the other. So, for example, lots of um, binary relationships would include like light and dark or hot and cold. Then you have male and female. All right, so these are all binary relationships if you don't have hot, maybe you don't understand what cold is and vice versa. If you don't have light, you don't understand what dark is, vice versa. Same thing with sex. If you don't have male, you don't understand what female is. This is an objective reality that cannot be changed based on a whim. It is biologically established. It is set in stone. It cannot be changed. Okay? Now, God himself is the one who established the boundaries of sex in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So let me read this for you. Genesis 1, 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Uh, if you happen to be looking like in a King James Bible or a New King James Bible, it will say God created mankind in his own image. That word mankind is not supposed to be some type of like patriarchal term. It's not some gendered term that, 
you know, is used for oppressive purposes. When you make something, you have the right to name it. And so God, who made man, called him mankind. And within the subset or within the overarching category of mankind is the subset male and female. So men are of the kind mankind and females are of the kind mankind. Does that make sense? I hope so. That is what God intended in Genesis 1.27. And so God has chosen to call both sexes man. That, that's not patriarchal. It's not oppressive. It is the fact and the right of the creator to name his creation. Now, both male and female are created in the image of God. And when you read through the Genesis chapter 1 creation account, you find that there is only one creature in all of God's creation that is made in his image. And it's not the angels. It's not any of the stars. It's not any of the plants or the fish or the birds or any of the other animals. It is this group, this category known as mankind. Mankind is made in the image of God. And so because mankind is made in the image of God, he is uniquely different than the animal kingdom. So secularists and evolutionists want to point to the animal kingdom and say, oh, we need to take our cues for life, our cues for society from the animal kingdom. But that's not the case at all. We are different fundamentally different than the animal kingdom because we have been made in the image of God, not in the image of animals. And so what we practice as human beings, what we practice as mankind is established by God the creator, not by patterns that we might witness in the animal kingdom. Here's what non-believers and secularists and evolutionists do. They look to the animal kingdom to try to understand and explain man. And this does not work because man is not like the animals. Man is like God. And so here's what they conclude. If we came from animals because of we believe in the theory of evolution, if we came from animals, then anytime we see some creature in the animal kingdom practicing an unusual sexual trait or behavior, then people should be free to replicate that. It's in the genetic code. This, my friends, is the logical conclusion of evolution. If we evolve from animals, then when we see anything at all practiced in the animal kingdom, then human beings should be able to imitate that. Nobody should say stop. Nobody should say that's not right. Nobody should look down on you for wanting to practice any type of unusual sexual trait or behavior. That's what the evolutionists and the secularists conclude. But on the contrary, because man is made in the image of God and man answers to God and is responsible to God, man does not have the license and freedom to practice any type of sexual behavior or sexual trait that he wants to. Man must abide by what God established. And here you see one of the important consequences of the creation ordinances. These creation ordinances establish what is good for society. 
what is good for the functioning of society, what is good for the continuation of society. And therefore, if we were to, for example, if we were to dismiss sex as a creation ordinance and say, it doesn't really matter, do what you feel, then all of a sudden we have allowed people, individuals, to choose what is best for them, and they are now shunning what God says is best for them. And this, obviously, is the pattern of mankind all throughout history. Romans chapter 1 says that men suppress the truth of God because they are unrighteous and because they are wicked. And it's no different in our culture today. Men are oppressing the truth of God. Men are suppressing the truth of God. Men are rejecting the truth of God. In contrast to this, as believers, we must uphold the truth of God. And where God speaks on a particular issue, we who claim to believe the Bible must stand firm on that particular issue. We cannot waver. We cannot waffle. We must do what God says exactly as God says it. Now, the culture, in the culture wars, uh, people are tricky. Satan, the enemy, is tricky. And what he has done is he has, like, basically shifted the argument from sex to gender. Okay, he's, he's shifted the argument from sex to gender. And this is where we have a real problem, because people who are secularists are saying, no, 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 we're not arguing with your biology. We're arguing with what you really feel you actually are. As if to say, your biology made a mistake, but you can correct that mistake through external factors, such as dressing like a woman if you're a man, or acting like a woman, or adopting some type of, you know, feminine qualities. You know, that is what the culture says you should do. You, your biology made a mistake. Evolution made a mistake with you. And so go ahead and just change it around do whatever it is that you need to do to update and adjust so that you feel good about yourself. That's what it's all about. Do you feel good about yourself? So the conversation has shifted from a science-based discussion of sex and saying, you know, your identification should match your biology. It has shifted from that scientifically-based mode to what is more like a subjective mode, whereby you are going to identify as the gender that you want to be, not necessarily the gender of your biology. And as we use the term gender in our culture today, as we use the term gender, it, it is defined this way. Gender denotes a range of identities that do not correspond to established ideas of male and female. So, you know, we talk about binary relationships, like sex is a binary relationship. The way that our culture wants to use the word gender is to say gender uh, basically is, is the way that we are going to break down this binary relationship. So, hot and cold. Is it good for things to be hot all the time? If you, if you imagine a circle and two points on the circle. And like the north pole of the circle is hot and the south pole of the circle is cold. 
and you say, well, is it good for things to be hot all the time or is it good for things to be cold all the time? And the answer is, of course, no. You want to get to somewhere in the middle, right? You, you, sometimes you like it warm but not hot. Sometimes you want it cool but not cold. And so there's all this range of temperatures in between hot and cold, and those are, those are non-binary, right? Because they're not the polar opposites. They're not the polar extremes. You can do the same thing with light and dark. Is light good? Sure. Is dark good? Sure. But how, how, how dark is dark? Right? You don't want it to be like totally, completely, 100% dark. You want there to be like maybe 5% light. So you're not all the way at the pole when it comes to darkness. You're not all the way at the pole when it comes to light. If light is you know, so bright, like nobody looks directly at the sun because it's too bright, you cannot tolerate that. It will destroy your eyes. So we say, well, light is good, but not too much light. You know, in college classes, they talk about binary relationships in this way. And they will begin to break down binary relationships. And they will say to, to students, impressionable 18 to 20-year-olds, you know, think about the binary relationships just like I described them to you, hot and cold, and you don't want everything hot, and you don't want everything cold. And so they'll go through hot and cold. They'll go through light and dark. They'll go through a couple other binary relationships. And all of a sudden, then they'll go male-female. And now if you're really smart, you're like, wait, one of these things is not like the other, okay? Male-female is not like light and dark. Male-female is a absolutely perfectly pure binary relationship and there's no breaking down of that binary relationship because it's biology. You can't change biology. But we're not talking about biology. We're talking about gender. It's how you feel. It's what your identity is. And so after you go through this whole breaking down of the binaries of hot and cold and light and dark, then you get to male and female and college kids go, oh, that makes so much sense to me. Oh, I get this now. And as we use the word gender in our culture today, gender is the self-perception of one sex. And so if you perceive yourself to be more female one day, well, then that day you're more female. But if the next day you swing more towards the male spectrum, then that day you are more male. And gender is all about the self-perception of one's sex. It is a totally subjective measurement. So you can't argue with somebody who says, I feel a certain way. It, it's impossible to argue with somebody who says, I feel a certain way. And as a result of this, when the culture talks about gender, they use terms like gender fluid. Well, that means you're not on one of the binary poles. You're somewhere in the middle. This is called being non-binary. So that is like the popular buzzword today. If you are non-binary, that's a great thing. That is a great thing. You know, you are celebrated. You are promoted. There is a lot of fanfare going on for you. But if you're binary, you're just like yesterday's news. Binary people have been ruling history for thousands of years. Why not let the non-binary people have a chance to rule history? I mean, that's the logic that they use. And because the culture and the culture warriors have made gender a subjective quality, it changes day to day. It changes based on feelings and circumstances. 
And you can't all of a sudden argue with somebody's gender because, well, that's how they feel. The end result of this is that many people identify as transgender. Many people are gender confused. Many people are claiming to be non-binary. But what happens to those people when they actually start making physiological changes to their body? For example, if they're like, well, I, I'm, I'm a, born a male, but I identify as a female. What happens when they start trying to make physiological changes to their body is they are trying to combat the biology of their body. And you can't do that. You can't change your biology. Sure, you can have surgeries. You can take hormones that will suppress other hormones. You can do all kinds of uh, interesting, creative things because we live in this wonderful scientific era. But if you stopped all of those things, guess what? Your biology is going to revert back to being what your biology says. Now, tragically, we used to call this gender dysphoria, somebody who identifies with a gender that does not match their biological sex. We used to call that gender dysphoria. But we're not even allowed to use that phrase anymore. We can't say that somebody has gender dysphoria because that's not loving. It's not kind. It, it doesn't affirm what that person feels in their heart. Now just stop and contemplate the foolishness of this logical argument. If you are to affirm what somebody feels in their heart, if you are to affirm what somebody feels in their life, whatever that might be, then if somebody comes to you and says, you know, I, I really feel like a dog today, are you going to say, yeah, you, you're definitely looking um, doggish to me. If somebody says, I, I feel like um, an elephant today. Yeah, I, I was thinking that myself. You know, I, I really see that your ears are droopy today and your nose looks longer than normal too. And yeah, I can definitely use, see you being an elephant. No, that's foolishness. That That is foolishness to the extent that you would not do that. You shouldn't do that. But that, my friends, is the exact type of foolishness that people in our culture want you to buy into when you're looking at a male and that person says to you, I'm a female, so you need to agree with me. No, I can't agree with that. That would be like me agreeing that you are an alligator, and you are definitely not an alligator. You're telling me to lie about your biology. I cannot lie about your biology. Now, your feelings, you may have mixed up feelings. You may have confused feelings. You may not even be sure what you feel. The Word of God can deal with your feelings. But the Word of God has also defined your biology. And you need to, as an individual, have your or work to cultivate feelings that match your biology. Now, before you send me like hate mail and saying, well, I have same-sex attraction. Okay, you may have same-sex attraction. You may struggle with identifying as your biology, like identifying your gender as your biology. Those are called sin issues. And just like anybody else who has a sin issue, that is a sin issue that needs to be repented of and confessed and worked through before God. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can overcome that particular sin issue. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying it's going to be quick. But you can overcome it. 
Now, here's the bottom line. The consequences of the attack on sex and gender are this. If you are arguing against your biological sex, you are arguing against your creator, and you will lose that argument. In Psalm 139, God, through the prophet David, through King David, says that he made you perfect and wonderful. And so if you are a male, then God made you a male, and you are perfect and wonderful that way, and you should celebrate your masculinity. It doesn't mean you have to be like the alpha male, man's man kind of guy, but you should be thankful for what God made you. Same thing if you're a female. Celebrate your femininity. God made you that certain way, and you should appreciate and uphold and seek to live out that which he made you to be. A second consequence, if you, let's say you're a well-meaning Christian, and somebody that you know is gender confused, they have gender dysphoria, if you affirm that that person is actually misgendered, you are declaring that God made a mistake. Now, does God make mistakes? I didn't think so. But if you think that somebody is misgendered, or if you affirm that somebody is misgendered, you are affirming that God made a mistake, and God does not make mistakes. The reality of the situation is that, God, that the individual has erred, not God. And the individual needs to repent, not God. A third consequence, Satan, by attacking sex, is attacking the masterpiece of God's creation, mankind. Perverting a person's sex, either by trying to physically change it or by using language to deny reality, is a way to deface and disgrace the image of God. Think about that. In Genesis 1.27, God created mankind in his own image, male and female, he created them. But if Satan can convince people to identify as some gender fluid type of a thing, or to go so far as to mutilate their body by having surgery, you have defaced the image of God. Now, this doesn't mean that the person is somehow less human or less worthy of redemption or any of those types of things. All we're saying is that the image of God is sacred, and they have defaced that which is sacred. Finally, and this is where we will leave off and pick up the next week, undermining sex undermines two other creation ordinances, namely the ordinance of marriage and procreation. The consequence is, if Satan is able to undermine sex, then he has a much easier job undermining two other creation ordinances, namely marriage and procreation. Because if you, you're not sure what sex you are, why would you get married? Or if, if you are two people who identify as the same sex, why should you procreate? That's just not possible. So you see, there is a, a very real slippery slope that occurs when you undermine what God says is the correct sex, the correct way to view sex, the correct way to view gender. Undermining those things casts doubt upon the other creation ordinances and makes it easier for the enemy to get in and tear those things down. Now, here are some questions for you to just think about, okay? 
I'm not going to try to answer these right now, but just think about them. How do we direct conversations with people towards a biblical definition of sex? How do we do that? You know, I'll, I'll hopefully I'll be able to address this in the future, but how do we direct conversations towards a biblical definition of sex? And should we even use the term gender? If we do use the term gender, how can we define it differently than the world? And is it a profitable term to use when discussing uh, these matters with non-believers? We need to be very careful that as we discuss these matters, we do so in a way that supports and upholds biblical definitions and tears down worldly definitions. Well, my friends, thank you for joining me today. This has been a thought-provoking episode, and if you have any questions, please shoot me a comment, shoot me an email, let me know about it. I would love to address it in a future episode. We're going to be continuing with our series on creation ordinances next week. Until then, may you be challenged to uphold the truth of the Word of God.